Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. And our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. All right, welcome to the 1CA podcast. My name is Sean Acosta, and today I will be your host. Uh, today, our guests are uh, Captain Albert O and Sergeant Major Chris Melendez. Uh, welcome to the 1CA podcast, guys. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, so what I'll do now is just kind of let you guys give a brief um, background of you know your experience in the Army and then why you came over to Civil Affairs. So, uh Captain O, we'll kind of start off with you, and you can and then we'll turn it over to Sergeant Major Melendez. Right on. Uh, so, Al O, uh, I came into the Civil Affairs Regiment back in 2015. Uh, used to be an armor officer in the 82nd, and uh, transitioned over. Just, I'll, I'll be honest, I was looking for more team time. I wanted to uh, keep operating at the tactical level. Uh, I was I was reluctant to let go of my platoon, and Civil Affairs definitely delivered. Uh, so graduated the course in 2015, uh, went to the 98th Civil Affairs Battalion, Sox South, and uh, served as a team leader, uh, brief brush as a CMOC chief, and then got to end up in the assistant S3 uh, before moving on to SWIC, where I got to teach for a year. Uh, definitely one of the best experiences I've had. And most recently, I was finishing my time as the course manager out of Civil Affairs Assessment and Selection. Awesome. Uh, Sergeant Major Melendez? Right yeah, hey, good morning, guys. Uh, name's Chris Melendez. Um, I've been in civil affairs since 2008. Um, prior to that, I started out as a 12 Bravo combat engineer in the Army and then changed to 19 Delta Cav Scout uh, and then changed, obviously, over to civil affairs. Um, so I've served in the 98th as team sergeant, CANCO, as well as Alpha Company and HHC first sergeant. Um, I served also as an SLC instructor at the uh, SWIC NCO Academy, and currently I serve as the Operations Sergeant Major for the 96th uh, Civil Affairs Battalion. We brought you guys on to the, to the podcast because you, along with uh, two other co-authors, uh, back in June of last year, you guys published an article in the Military Intelligence Professional Bulletin, uh, and it was centered around silver reconnaissance. And the exact title was uh, Reconnaissance Found, Redefining Army Special Operations Forces Integration. So we wanted to talk with you guys a lot about silver reconnaissance. You, you know, your perspectives on it are invaluable, in my opinion. And um, I think it's something that we need to discuss as a, as a branch. You know, it's one of the few things that's proprietary to, to civil affairs. 
So just to get us started, you guys, in, in that article, you wrote, uh, the problem with silver reconnaissance is that it is my, widely misunderstood and subsequently misapplied. So I don't know if one of you guys want to take that on or both of you and, and talk about that or elaborate on that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, so I think uh, that there's a confusion in terms of conceptual simplicity versus kind of this practical difficulty. So civil reconnaissance, uh, you know, it's not just going out and looking at stuff. Um, there's defi- definitely a huge technical aspect to it and sort of what happens left of execution in terms of the planning of the mission. Um, so so that, that's where I think a lot of that uh, confusion or, or misunderstanding happens is uh, just because something uh, may be very straightforward in terms of the actual execution of the mission doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a technical mission, that it doesn't require significant planning prior to the execution. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know one thing uh, Chris and I talked about pretty recently with regards to this article, you know, thinking now in, in 2020, looking at this article, uh, it's incredible to see uh, where the 95th is and the 83rd as far as uh, understanding and conveying uh, the concept of civil reconnaissance. But I, I know at the time, uh, so, I mean, Chris, correct me if I'm off. I think this was 2016 where we, we started talking about the, this idea. So, and going off of the 2014 version of FM357, uh, I remember civil reconnaissance was there as this subset. It was a task under... Um, uh, c- civil information management, and it just seemed like it had been relegated. It was it was shoved deep uh, in the back of this drawer. It was this thing that was tangential to uh, managing civil information, and it it almost felt like uh, civil reconnaissance was happenstance. Uh, there was e- there were even lines in the old three five seven talking about uh, the passive gathering of information. It, it was just incidental. I mean, you happen to be deployed to a country. And you stumble upon things that are curious or interesting, and there you have it, civil reconnaissance. And uh, I know for Chris and I, both coming from a reconnaissance background, Chris had been a former Cap Scout. I was an armor officer. I was like, man, there's this perfectly good doctrine for this, you know, that breaks down the fundamentals of reconnaissance, how to do a deliberate reconnaissance, uh, you know, uh, like Chris was saying, plan it beforehand and be very deliberate about the effects that you're or the, the information that you're looking to gather. Yeah. I think the way you described it initially, like, you know, kind of shooting from the hip. I know from my personal experience, that was kind of, I've talked about civil reconnaissance. That's basically what it was like, Oh, we'll, we'll go out and plug these grids on these things. Or if you see something along the way, you know, that's what we do, but that's really like the antithesis of what civil reconnaissance is, where it's, you know, planned and targeted observation of some aspect of the civil component within the environment. So would you say that it is, like the problem is that reconnaissance doctrine isn't necessarily a part of civil affairs proponent um, or, you know, it belongs to cab scout uh, proponent, or is it that civil affairs in general just isn't looking in the right places to find this or wasn't historically. I think that we are making some gains now in understanding, you know, the principles of reconnaissance and integrating those in the training. But do you think that was the biggest hiccup, yeah, I would say, in my opinion, initially, um, as, as Captain O just described, I mean, a, a lot of our initial discussion, I mean, it's, you know, con- the context is this this was happening four years ago. And so we're I think we're at a different place 
presently in a, in a much better place in terms of uh, a better understanding and making sure it's interwoven into our doctrine and that we're talking about it in terms of uh, task proficiency. Uh, so absolutely, I mean, CA for Colin is a huge part of, uh, it has to be a part of the discussion and ensuring that we have uh, sort of an, a base expectation of the requisite knowledge and skill to do civil reconnaissance, right? I think it all starts there. Um, and, you know, one of the other comments that we talked about in the article was that, that civil reconnaissance is sort of the sine qua non, right? The that without which not of civil affairs. Like, this is the critical first step. Um, it's necessary, but not sufficient, right? And, and we'll probably get some more about like, the so what behind civil reconnaissance, but it, it all starts there. And, uh, and I also think uh, just a last point would be that each CA leader. So we, we need to each help own the challenge um, and shepherd its solution. So you, you, you know, one cannot lay everything at proponents feet or branch feet or, you know, other senior leaders feet in, in, in the regiment. I, I think it's, it's up to each of us to, uh, to take some ownership and try and figure this thing out too as well. And I think we've seen that, um, maybe, maybe not on an individual basis, but I think we're, we're starting to see some of the senior leaders do that. You know, we've got, um, from my understanding, the advanced skills detachment is now conducting a civil reconnaissance course to basically make sure that everyone within the 95th Civil Affairs Brigade is, um, you know, has that baseline understanding of reconnaissance. Um, and then, you know, recently, uh, SWIC has, uh, specifically third battalion charlie company has started the cast uh portion of the mo uh, the pipe uh pathway rather um and within that it's it's very silver reconnaissance heavy you know one of the analogies that you guys use i think is is uh helps kind of define like silver reconnaissance and the why behind it but um you know that that's being integrated into that pathway so we're now we're going to have a force that's coming out of the pathway that is much more educated than i was you know, eight years ago when I graduated. Um, and, I, and I think that once the brigade gets to a baseline, we'll be in a much better position now. And then, like you're saying, at that point, it's just up to, to leaders um, to ensure that, you know, we're all working towards that. But I still think we have challenges. The metal tasks that we train off of, the silver reconnaissance tasks are, are sketchy at best. And I think it's hard to to train a unit on silver reconnaissance with some of the tasks that we have written, don't, don't enable NCOs to do that. I don't know what your guys' thoughts on the, are on that. I guess when it comes to doctrine, and I know people have different perspectives on this, but there is something to be said. And this is something I really didn't come to appreciate until I came into SWIC, uh, how much doctrine does drive that process uh, of how we train. Uh, I, I think at the team level, oftentimes, uh, especially the way special operations uh, forces are, are typically built up. Everything is so bottom driven. Uh, you, you feel like it really is a, a choose your own adventure uh, type environment. But um, when it comes to, you know, how we train and making sure that it's looking the same across different COCOMs, I mean, we can't, uh, we can't settle for that, that thorough explanation of, well, Hey, things are different in Mongolia than they are from Colombia. So uh, get over it. See ours is different out here. Like no, like you know, especially as a branch coming together, uh, there needs to be a unified idea of when we say civil reconnaissance. This is the same framework that you would use in a permissive, semi-permissive, uh, non-permissive environment, and and that really does it. It comes back to 
uh, how we define those specific tasks that we train on. Uh, it can't be uh, so specific to the conditions that you find yourself in that uh, you're doing it a little bit differently every time. And I think when you think of, um, regardless of who owns Reconnaissance Doctrine, just as a framework for approaching uh, an unknown, right? Or it, just at its very core, uh, you're going into an environment, you're trying to gather information in order to inform a decision. If, if you take that and then you, you start layering in the CA flavors of, okay, well, we're doing this specific to the threat in the environment because we are a threat-based organization. Then you layer in, we're also trying to support the partner nation government and U.S. government uh, uh, objectives. And then that's when, you know, at the very top of that, you start layering in things like, okay, what is specific uh, to the SOC South line of effort? What is specific to the SOC Scent line of effort? You know, so at, at the very, at the top layers is I think where it gets more nuanced and, and specific uh, to that battalion or, or that COCOM's mission. Um, but at its very core, it, we should be able to have these conversations across the board and be talking about the same thing. I think you're spot on. It, like the framework should be the same. You know, reconnaissance is reconnaissance. But the information that you're after with reconnaissance or the questions that you're trying to answer through reconnaissance is where it may differ from COCOM to COCOM, right? The problem sets are different. You're going to have different um, different things that you're trying to um, do there on behalf of that geographic combatant commander. At this point, it feels like we're kind of all starting to get on to the same page, if you will, um, doctrinally using reconnaissance doctrine to, to, to instruct uh, CR. Is it now just, uh, you know, we're at the point where it is time to continue refining the use of like emerging methods. I, I mean, the, the Unomia journal published a, an article about digital civil reconnaissance, um, you know, and refining like the way that we uh, integrate this information with other agencies and, and the intelligence community. Is that, is that where we're at after this, or is there another aspect of the training within reconnaissance that we need to take on? I think that given the uh, just, you know, the way technology is and just how it just uh, amplifies everything, the speed of communication and change in an environment or, or so forth, the way conditions change. Um, I think whether we like it or not, or, or whether we believe we're postured or not for that, I think we do, we can't afford to wait. Right. So I think it's one of those, you know, just about, you know, use the tired uh, image of building the airplane in flight. Like we continue to refine our framework and, how we train it, but we still, I think, simultaneously have to think about how do you do digital civil reconnaissance? What are the authorities and permissions required? Are they unique? Um, you know, to, to do that, right? And I think the whole situation with COVID, where you have uh, different elements that are just due to uh, just restrictions out there in the environment in terms of they're not able to interact the way civil affairs is maybe used to interacting. And so that doesn't mean the conditions aren't changing or and that doesn't mean that we can afford to be disengaged. And so we, we, we have to find new, continually find new ways to do civil engagement out in that environment to, to, to accomplish the civil reconnaissance objective. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think that challenge is, I mean, there aren't really any easy answers for that, but it's something we can't afford to not engage and pursue. Yeah. Cyber, cyber is tricky. I think it's intimidating for a lot of us too, just because, uh, even as a, a self-professed millennial where I, I, I thought I had a pretty good grasp on the, the internets and 
uh, you know, interacting in, in that space, I realized there is a whole universe that, that is untapped. And we see in the headlines all the time, you know, all these uh, non-attributional uh, attacks, you know, that's, that's how they're phrased. They're, they're actually uh, able to conduct attacks in cyberspace. Uh, there's ways to manipulate things in the physical space through cyberspace. Um, and with that, I, and not, not to, not to beat a dead horse here, but I really do feel that in, in speaking about a framework and how we can approach this. So I, maybe the example we'll use is, um, and, and sorry, major, please, please feel free to jump in here at any time. Uh, I think where we started thinking of civil reconnaissance as this easily transferable concept across domains was like, okay, uh, what do we understand about reconnaissance in the physical domain? And I think this, this reads very uh, easily to uh, most of our green suitors. Uh, I think everyone uh, at some level, no matter what branch you come from, you understand maneuver. You have to, it's part of basic training, right? How do we maneuver and influence physical space? Uh, so we, we go through the different fundamentals of reconnaissance and how, the, how does this stuff apply um, conceptually? You know, we, uh, we're going out there into the fog of war and trying to understand the physical environment and then breaking that down into bits of information that we can then transfer, you know, build back into concepts that are easily digested and will drive commander decisions. Uh, and it could be something as simple as, uh, all right, I sent two dismounted troops out, identify that there's a, a ridge line that uh, we could emplace friendly troops and they'll have plunging fires on whatever enemy crosses through that road. Good information, good copy, send that report back. Now the commander can turn that into something. Is that key terrain? Is that something we can exploit? You know, how can we use that physical space to, you know, influence the rest of the physical environment? All right, it's a long-winded way of, of saying, if, if that encompasses the physical space there, let's, let's transfer domains. And, you know, if we're thinking of maybe the cognitive domain or the human domain, what does that look like in terms of narratives and ideas? Uh, you know, if, if, we, if we think of this concept as, I'm going into the fog of war. There's an unknown operational environment. I'm sending scouts forward. They're gathering information. Again, they're, they're breaking down whatever their schema of that information is down into bits of information that they can then reassemble, package, and then transmit back to somebody to drive a decision, uh, understand that environment better. And really that, if you think of it in, in that framework, you can apply that very broadly. So in just to take it to cyberspace, which I know very little about, <laughs> uh, disclaimer, if we treat it in that same fashion, uh, I mean, this is a perfect example because I don't understand a lot. The fog of war is very dense for me in the cyberspace uh, environment. How do we move into cyberspace, understand what's going on there? All right, so all these ones and zeros, there's different ways of manifesting themselves. Uh, how are people projecting ideas? Is it through Facebook posts? Are bots trying to uh, influence the narrative by flooding uh, Facebook pages of celebrities, or maybe they're, they found those, those tiny centers of gravity, those subcogs, and they're trying to drive those towards an end state. Um, it's, it's insane to think about the, the possibilities. Uh, Sean, I know you and I had a, a brief conversation the other day, uh, speaking about the cyberspace with regards to video games, video game servers, right? You can right. have people right. logging on the PlayStation One network, and you know, it, on the surface, it looks innocent. They're just playing Call of Duty Warzone. They're racking up kills, but now you have access there. And what, what kind of ideas are those people sharing? Are there people 
that are in your video game clan or whatever, right? And you all have a common frame of, of mind. Uh, I've heard, I remember when a lot of these games are becoming popular. Uh, I'm, I'm going to run off on a tangent, so if you need to cut this out for the podcast, it's no big. But <laughs> I remember articles <laughs> popping up about the world of Warcraft. You know, people are they're becoming elf warriors and all this stuff. And it got so intense that uh, like people were so invested in this video game atmosphere. Uh, they were they were meeting people online and falling in love with their characters. And then they would have marriages that people would attend online in cyberspace. And, and to them, it felt real, you know? And you think you, you have that ability to influence emotions and ideas through that video game. Uh, just imagine the, the possibilities, you know, from there. How else can we do that? How can we reach people that were previously uh, untapped, you know, in, in the, the, the fight for influence here. Don't downplay world of Warcraft marriages, Al. <laughs> They're every bit is real. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> hey, but, but seriously, I think you're spot on, right? Um, you know, you're gathering, you're, it's kind of like what you're saying. It's the reconnaissance is there to drive a decision. And if this is being used by some adversary to influence populations, then obviously that's something that a commander would want to know. And I think um, that's increasingly becoming more critical as we start to, I don't want to say transition, but recognize great power competition um, with China and Russia because, you know, them operating below, uh, you know, threshold of uh, armed conflict, like that's where they live at. Um, Whether that's, you know, cultural from the Sun Tzuian mindset of China uh, or just, you know, Russia has realized post-Cold War, like, okay, we can't compete militarily with the U.S. Here, let's take some, let's take a little bit from um, out of this playbook and, and try to use this, right? And we see it all over the place. You see COVID has been rampant with it. Um, you talk about bots specifically, how they're, how they're using this information realm to influence or change things in the phys- physical realm, um, you know. You've seen things as far as amplifying like italics at hashtags, you know, trying to dismantle European Union um, through that. And they're doing that all through amplification through bots. Um, and I know we're kind of getting a little bit off topic, but still like just the digital CR portion of this and understanding that and then being able to report that and being, and saying, hey, here's how the populations within our operational environments are being influenced. Maybe we don't have the assets to affect it or the capabilities to within civil affairs, but somewhere, you know, whether that's the cyber command or I'll I'll venture to say psychological operations, you know, may play a role in that too. But, you know, it's, it's at least there, the commander understands it now and he or she can make a decision um, and and place some type of capability towards that, that threat. And in in this discussion, right? Like this, this part of our discussion, this goes back to, I think the, the original, uh, at least one of my original points when we talk about confusion or misunderstanding with CR uh, being conceptually simple, but in practice becomes very technical, right? So if, if you were to ask me, hey, what does civil affairs do in layman's terms, I would, I would generally say we gather relevant civil information about the operational environment. We help make sense of that relevant civil information through SIM and HNA, and then we provide commanders options to do something through civil engagement. And so the gathering piece, right, that's that, that short phrase, that, that, that's reconnaissance in a nutshell, right? You gather relevant civil information for commanders. 
and so that's to me that's the cross-cutting piece we can talk about fundamentals we can talk about types of reconnaissance but now as we you know in this point in our conversation we're talking about uh domains right and so good point and I, what captain o is alluding to is you know what is the key terrain when you start talking about the cyber domain is it social media is it particular types of social media right and so there now the discussion gets very rich and very technical very quickly in terms of how do you gather relevant civil information for a commander what does it take in order to do that well i think that brings up a good point and you um you guys have a a unique way of explaining this concept um basically kind of saying you know what how do we map this human terrain after silver reconnaissance sorry major al i don't know which one of you guys want to want to go over it but you know kind of discuss that sector sketch analogy that you guys have and for me it kind of put this into i don't know it was, it was mind-blowing for me when i heard this analogy it changed my whole perspective uh, i think captain o is i really appreciate the way that he presents this sir you good on this one for sure <laughs> i appreciate it man and Look i, I went over to you real quick <laughs> I, I definitely want to i definitely want to cite my source here i actually wanted to pull this up to make sure i was doing the guy justice uh so before i jump into the uh, the example itself there is a phenomenal white paper uh that holds up super well it was it was written four years ago a guy named lieutenant colonel brian steed uh, who works over at the Command General Staff College at Leavenworth, and in conjunction with a lot of a lot of other heavy hitters. I mean, they had AWG weigh in, Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Lab, you know, a lot of people that we've touched base with in the past. Uh, I think all of us in the CA community are now familiar with uh, Army Training Publication 5.5-06 Network Engagement. A lot of the the concepts that came out of this paper uh, are mirror like mirror overlay with those and. Um, it's, it's largely because it's a lot of the same authors. You know, I see uh, Mr. Chris Warrett on here from the Tradoc G27. Uh, he's, he's, he's been really big as far as pushing our ideas forward in social network analysis. So all that said, uh, it's, it's a 44-page paper, right? So I'm going to give the, the very brief wave tops here. Uh, it's called Maneuver in the Narrative Space. And so, you know, uh, flashback to fall of 2016, uh, then First Sergeant Melendez and I were sitting in a hotel room at a seventh group academic, uh, waiting to start a se- an academic week at seventh group. And we started riffing on this idea of how do these ideas, the fundamentals of our consciousness that we know and love already in the physical space, how do those transfer over into what we do? Because yes, it, it is interesting to go out and survey a road or a hospital, uh, you know, any number of different forms that we could find in our assessments block of instruction. (laughs) Um, But uh, what he proposes is this idea of uh, maybe there's a way using social network analysis and other other sciences to conceptualize ideas uh, in a manner that we can now, uh, we we can use traditional maneuver graphics, uh, modify combined obstacle overlays, and you can identify the friendly and enemy elements and the best avenues approach, so on and so forth. So with all that said, um, so our, our example we like to use, uh, I, I was a big fan of using this for students in the course as well. Uh, so we take these very basic ideas of terrain. Uh, we all know how to do terrain analysis. We've all been through our, our levels of professional military education. So you could take a two-dimensional map, hand it over to any soldier, and you could then ask them to identify 
the obstacles, the avenues of approach, the cover concealment, right? The key terrain. Uh, you could ask them to outline those things for you. Uh, for you, point the point to those objects and explain uh, exactly how does this? You know, you pointed at this hill here and told me it was key terrain. How does this afford you the enemy advantage? Uh, an advantage in a in a linear fight. And uh, for the most part, uh, all officers and NCOs that come through the course, uh, very literate in that, and that, that's easy to understand. So with that said, let's now transfer domains, right? If you understood that two-dimensional graphic as a, a map of the narrative space or the information space or the, the human domain, and where you have all these different emotions and ideas that are, that are competing with each other, okay, now, you know, point out to me, where is the key terrain? Where's the cover and concealment? What is the best avenue of approach to advance an idea that may support U.S. government objectives and our allies and counter ideas and narratives that will support, I'll just take low-hanging fruit here, let's say ISIS, right, uh, or ISIL. Um, so these extremist ideologies that are, uh, you know, the, the threat is falling in on and seeking to spread what are their avenues of approach? How do we get in there and then, you know, preclude those with obstacles and use cover and concealment uh, and different avenues of approach in order to advance and then get in and therefore gain the advantage. Um, so uh, to, to go, sorry, Sean, super long-winded intro here, but to get to the actual sector sketch, right? Uh, just laying the context out. So uh, every soldier goes through basic training has to fill out one of these at one point. You, you place them in a firing position you know, squad leader gets behind, says, hey, here's your 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock. Here's your sector of fire. I need you to fill out this right in the rain uh, page that you ripped out of your notebook and illustrate for me, what are you looking at? You know, what's in your sector of fire? Uh, so, okay, uh, you're going to lay down. I'm going to put some X's here. I got some dead space that I can't influence directly. But maybe if I had a grenade or, you know, a, a 320 grenade launcher, I could, I could you know, launch plunging fires into that or, or indirect fire. Uh, what's over here? This is a, an obstacle. I can't see past that. Uh, there's a road that cuts across my sector of fire. Uh, here's different. Uh, there's, there's foliage here. So there's, you know, this is where the enemy could easily conceal themselves, but it's not going to stop bullets. So I know I can shoot through that if I needed to. And, and you're, you're drawing all this out. You put some target reference points. If you're a platoon size element or higher, you might have some mortars to support you so you can uh, easily communicate those across the board. And what you've created is... Uh, in a fantastic standalone product that when your uh, when your shift is up and you have to go uh, catch some rack, the next guy to take every position, hey, uh, you know, Private Snuffy to Private Smith, check it out, man. I drew you this picture. You should be able to look at this picture, look at what's in front of you, and see the same things that I'm seeing. Look out there. You see that road? You see that dead space? You see those obstacles? Great. I'm going to go to sleep, and you carry on, right? Uh, so if you take that that very simple-to-understand concept and then again, transferring domains, apply that to the cognitive domain, the, the narrative space. Uh, it does raise some really interesting discussions about, okay, uh, you know how to do OACOC terrain analysis. You know how to do maybe some very basic intelligence preparation in the battlefield. How do you do that now in the narrative space? Now, what exactly represents those obstacles? Uh, and, you know, usually when I, I flip it to the students, it, you get a chorus of answers, uh, Okay, obstacles, maybe it's culture, right? There's a specific cultural faux pas that we need to avoid. Uh, we don't speak the language. That's an obstacle. Um, you know, maybe there's just anti-U.S. sentiment. That's a huge obstacle. This is a borderline denied space or a semi-permissive environment. Okay, 
great, you've identified the obstacles. Now explain to me, how can I, using my weapon system, influence what's in my sector of fire? And what I love about this analogy is that, just like every rifleman knows, when you look in front of you and you have your 10 and 2, you can't account for it all. That's why you operate in a squad size, a platoon size element, and you have interlocking, sec- interlocking sectors of fire, right? We know how to mass effect. All these principles that apply in offensive maneuvers, reconnaissance, are very easily uh, transferred over to uh, what we want to understand about the, the human domain. Uh, and so I guess that, that all brings it to uh, what is our weapon system here? And uh, Colonel Steed references it uh, in this document. And I think this is very much the idea that was resonating between me and Sergeant Major uh, when we, we first uh, set ink to paper to, to write this. Uh, your weapon system is really influence, right? It's, a, it's, it's, it's really hard to, hard to define. I can't tell you what kind of weapon system you're operating with, right? But as a framework, yeah, like what does U.S. government influence, which you're operating on behalf of uh, in the Department of Defense, how do we extend our influence? How do we identify what is within our sector of fire in a way that's easily transferable to the person that's going to take my place, uh, to another allied counterpart of the part nations that we work in conjunction with. Uh, how do I take my understanding of this tiny piece of the operational environment and pass that over so that they could then influence the operational environment? I think you bring up a good point with influence, right? Um, and I think that, you know, mapping out the human terrain and being able to model that network or networks through social network analysis, um, helps with the influence piece, right? Because you understand the connections, the different links between those nodes. Um, and then, you know, you under, you, you're able to see all the other things that you were talking about, the obstacles, et cetera, within there. So then you can determine, you know, how am I going to engage this portion of the network, directly or indirectly? Well, if I don't have direct access, then what, what portion of the network can I engage or influence um, in order to, you know, hopefully have that permeate to other portions of the network, or how do I influence this portion of the network to fracture that link with the other portion of the network, right? To influence this operational environment that we're in. And I, and I think influence is just, that's the overall weapon system. The means to influence, uh, you know, that, that depends on what assets and resources you have, and it depends on the nodes themselves too, what, what would influence them. Um, but I think, I know for me personally, putting it into that perspective, just it was all things that I knew intuitively. But once you, once you stated in that way, my whole like perspective, I guess it just broadened, broadened my aperture, if you will, to keep it in in military lingo. Yeah, and 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 I think too, like we we even can see this example playing out even even in our own country, just with the present discussions about uh, different monuments, right, and statues, right. These. You know, typically we think about critical infrastructure, water treatment, power, uh, grids, and so forth. But also, you know, you look at cultural things, um, statues and monuments of that sort, right? Uh, being able to understand where those types of things are and then the types of narratives and sentiments that go along with those things, right? And then that's layered also with, lo- with sites where people protest and so forth. So that, I think that just provides maybe one example of how it's not necessarily just the traditional things we think of in terms of mapping out an environment, but also some of the things that can be overlooked, you know, some of the cultural issues that, that um, really uh, just kind of give rise to some of the more uh, 
strongly held narratives and passions. You, you were talking about that earlier before we, uh, I guess you'd call it our warm up, but uh, we're talking about this, you know, and I think it was spot on. Like, ideally, the information that we gather can be used for to to look at this operational environment and all the different components within it. But it can also be used to um, not only inform the commander on those things, but you know, offer predictive analysis, like you're talking uh, with this too. You know, hey, here's where these monuments are. Um, you know, we may see protests in here just based off the culture, the area that this monument sits in and some of the historical context that comes within that some of the different subgroups that live within this area. Um, and I think it'll help, help with that, that, uh, predictive analysis piece too. And then maybe you can, uh, prevent some of that from occurring or just, you know, at least have a contingency plan in, in place if it does occur. All right. So the, 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 the final thing that I really want to talk to you guys about is, and it's almost like, um, I'm going to say it's a way forward, but, I think as we start to you kind of baseline out the civil affairs regiment, um, at least on the active duty side, and to be honest, I need to do a lot more research into what um, USA KPOC or how they view civil reconnaissance, um, which it, sh- it shouldn't be any different. And I think I just as far as, I guess, a training baseline and, and integrating these reconnaissance principles into their training, how, how that's going. But going forward, once we've got this baseline, I think the next step for us is the analysis piece, right? So all the things that we've just kind of discussed, um, how do we train and teach that portion of it, the social network analysis? And again, some of that's been put into cast. Um, but I, I guess what I'm asking is what, what is your, your all opinion? How do, how do you guys foresee this um, being fixed or how do we overcome this issue with analysis? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess just, to start, I'm thinking I would offer is that we, you know, we acknowledge that civil reconnaissance is this incredibly valuable process, but it's only, it's valuable in that what it provides, right? Like what it really gets after in terms of informing the commander to uh, appreciate conditions in the operational environment, right? So how do, how do we fix it? I don't think there's any easy ways. One way, um, one thing to maybe consider would be um, that there's, to avoid the temptation to fixate on platforms, right? And we talk about H um, and A and getting into specific brands and, and platforms for depicting it. Uh, I, personally, I would like to see a greater focus on the education piece, particularly with regards to research methods. You know, and being able to being information literate in terms of qualitative and quantitative analysis methods for gathering that information, assessing it. Um, I think there's pretty re- rich research uh, resources. Uh, in that vein, we could look at anthropology and sociology as maybe jump off points, but I would like to see that emphasis because it, the way I think of it is as a civil fair soldier, if you have um, those type of capabilities, if you understand the data, it helps you kind of with your mission planning, right? So everything left of execution of the civil reconnaissance. Okay, how would we measure this X, Y, and Z phenomenon? What would we look for? What would be indicators of that? You know, and so you it gives you another way to uh, enrich your civil reconnaissance approach. Ah, man, I, I, I hesitate to even reference it because uh, I feel like I'm either going to misquote or, or forget the guy's name. There, there's a pretty phenomenal article written by, uh, there's a young uh, soldier that submitted an article to the Unomia Journal about holistic thinking. 
uh, and approaching things from that perspective. And I think it does speak to uh, what Sergeant Major was talking about, about all the different disciplines that this encompasses. Uh, I, I think with the military, we tend to think it's the classic Department of Defense thinking. We're so stovepiped, right? It's like one of the first classes we get in like, Embassy 101 or understanding our, our uh, interagency partners. It's the first thing is, hey, expand your perspective. Understand that you're not the sole actor out here. And it's more than just breaking down, you know, spelling out your acronyms so that people understand what that means. Um, it's, it's about understanding the interconnectedness of everything. And this really speaks to, uh, you know, Sean, you asked a great question about digital civil reconnaissance, what that looks like, uh, just how things are opening up, this, uh, you know, globalization, uh, the way the Internet permeates in every aspect of our lives. Uh, I think, too, with civil reconnaissance, something that is fundamentally simple there's only seven fundamentals to remember, and you'll, you'll, you'll get it right every time uh, for reconnaissance. Just thinking about how broadly that you can apply that and how many other disciplines are not necessarily to master. That's one of those things. Uh, Chris and I have had this conversation a lot. Hate the word expert, right? Let's, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we're out here to become you know, masters uh, of our craft. Like I, I think one of the, the strongest suits of civil affairs is that in a lot of ways, we're generalists. Uh, yes, you may have specialized in CENTCOM for the better portion of your career or AFRICOM, but your ability to take a framework, a framework, a mental framework, and then apply it readily into a completely different operational environment, I think that's what makes us valuable. Uh, I, I think civil affairs soldiers tend to have that intellectual curiosity, that holistic perspective. Uh, it's not just necessary to do our job, but it helps us inform and, and influence uh, commander decisions, you know, and, and that's ultimately what we're out there to do. Yeah, I, I think that's that's an excellent point. So there, uh, there's a, a professor named Philip Tetlock who wrote a really interesting uh, piece on super forecasting. And one of the things Tetlock found was that uh, the best people at doing predictive analysis weren't the specialists. They weren't the people with multiple PhDs in the discipline. It was the people that at least had a uh, broad perspective, and they would be able to assess information from a lot of dis different disciplines, and they actually had better accuracy in doing super forecasting. So I think to Captain No's point, like, uh, you know, one of the best things we can do for our force is just encourage people to read broadly, educate themselves, appreciate that the, uh, you, you understand that you don't understand. Right. And, and so you become naturally inquisitive and you're willing to seek out those those experts and, and just information from a lot of sources. I, I think that, you know, in civil affairs, we should be looking to cultivate probably uh, Renaissance men and women, um, people that just have that that appreciation. And if we can do that, um, that will go a far way in terms of our ability to you know, help paint the picture for a commander. I, I completely agree. And shameless plug, uh, everyone go check out the Civil Affairs Association reading list, which can be found on our page. Uh, it's broken out into separate co-coms and uh, some foundational reading as well. But it's very broad, just like you're saying. Um, but yeah, I, I know for me personally, as I've, I think that's probably been the, the biggest thing over the past three or four years is I've really started to read more and more broadly. And it's like you're saying, like the more I read, I'm like, the more curious I am about things. And I think that's driven a lot of um, my pursuit in, in, in some of these things, especially with like the analytical portions of it. 
um, just being able to look at things from a broad perspective and kind of take in all of the information for what it is versus trying to pigeonhole it into this one like specific, I'm an expert in this field. This is how I view things from this one perspective. So with that, guys, I just want to, I want to thank both of you for coming on to the podcast. Um, you know, I think this is an important topic, uh, silver reconnaissance. I think it's, it's something that isn't talked about enough. Uh, I think we're making tremendous strides in how we view it and how we implement it. I think we still do have some, a little bit of ways to go with the analytical portion, but I'm fully confident that we'll, that we'll get there in the long run. So thank you guys both for coming on and providing your perspective on, on silver reconnaissance. And I, and I know it's going to be informative for the audience. My pleasure. Thank, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, likewise, man. Enjoyed it. If you enjoyed this podcast and others, please remember to subscribe and hit like so the 1CA podcast team gets important feedback and support. The Civil Affairs Association is a proud sponsor of the 1CA podcast and the Unomia Journal. You can find more podcasts like this on the www.1capodcast.org. Again, that's www.1capodcast.org. The Unomia Journal is expanding its content to reach a broader audience and engagement across defense and governments to include other partners and allied countries. New sections in the Warrior Scholar Corner and the Team Room aim to deliver content useful to our members. Check out the Unomia Journal at www.unomiajournal.com. Again, that's www.unomiajournal.com. If you're not a member yet, visit the main CA Association website and find a new range of membership options. Starting with cadets or midshipmen, membership is only $10 a year. We then have our basic annual membership at $40 per year and two years at $60 or finally a three-year membership for only $80. Our most popular and best value option is a lifetime membership at a one-time price of $200. Be a member and don't miss out. 2020 is a big year with transformational changes underway. Lots of new opportunities for members. Don't miss out.